Roger is walking down the coast of the Murray Firth. His name is Thomas and he is a tailor, a travelling tailor, for these are the days before shops. In a way he followed the, the herring lassies as they travelled around the coast of Scotland. Month or so behind, because making clothes for a living, well, if the fishermen, if the, the coopers and the cures had had a good season, well, they would all need some new clothes to be made, or at least a canny repair or two. Now, a tailor was always welcome wherever he went. Certainly by the weavers, because he always bought his cloth locally, but also because everyone was happy to hear the stories that he brought with him. For the travellers and the peddlers, the tailors were the best source of news and gossip and stories. Well, it was nearing the end of October and Thomas was weary he had blisters on his blisters and his backpack seemed to get heavier every day with all the tools of his trade inside. He'd walked a few, well, a fair few miles that season along the Maury Firth coastline. He was looking to get to Cromarty for the November market, but the, this year the things were different. The season had failed. The herring, usually so plentiful here, had simply not appeared. And the fisher lassies and the coopers and the curious had moved on, continuing their long journey south to Yarmouth Town. When Thomas entered a town and started knocking on the doors of his regular customers, the answer was always the same. Sorry, Thomas, times are hard. We've no money for new clothes this year. And the children had dark rings under their eyes. They clung to their mother's skirts. They were hungry. Well, no work meant no money for Thomas, and no money meant that he couldn't afford to stay at the local inn as he usually did. He would hang around the marketplace where the women stood knitting and the old men gossiped. Perhaps it had been the weather, or the winter storms had been the worst they'd known, and one thought it might be a witch's curse, or another, well, well, said that the herring was a fickle fish. Sometimes it played hide-and-seek. Poor Thomas moved from town to town, village to village, and the wet leather on his boots now on the soles of his feet was so thin it was almost worn through and every sharp stone on the road made him wince with pain. And as he walked the weather got worse. A mist came down as he passed Pickletown and he could hardly make out the path in front of him and it seemed to turn this way and then that. Well, just like the road to Duffus, but he didn't recognise this part of the coastline. But the storms, these winters, well, they could change the, the coastline. 
Thomas realised he was lost. But then he saw in front of him a, a row of cottages, white washed cottages with three gates, three paths that led to three doors. And by the side of each door hung an old wood and wire sieve, the ones folks used for washing the sand from their mussels and cockles. Now, Thomas didn't remember seeing these cottages last year when he passed. But then last year, the herring had been so plentiful that his customers all wanted new clothes for their Sunday best and he'd fair skipped out of town. There was smoke coming from the three chimneys and he could smell cooking. He knocked on the first door and as he waited, his mouth began to water, his tummy began to rumble and when the door creaked open, an old woman stood, bent, in the doorway. Thomas, is it? She asked as she peered into the mist. Ooh, a shiver ran down the back of Thomas's neck. He, he'd never seen her before. How did she know him? I am I'm Thomas the tailor, at your service. He was starting to feel frightened. And past her, by the fire, he, he thought he saw a cat arch its back as he walked in. Well, Thomas reasoned that word of mouth, his fame had gone before him. But the cottage was dark inside and it took a while for Thomas's eyes to adjust. He looked for that cat, but he couldn't see it. And in the hearth, a a sooty cauldron hung on a huge iron hook at the end of a big chain that disappeared up the chimney. He turned around and saw a small table and three chairs. The old woman signalled for him to take off his coat and hang it on a, a wee silver hook between the, her box bed and a small wooden door. It was propped open with a, a bism, a witch's broom. It led to some narrow stairs to the attic. He sat down at the table and uh, he noticed that a wooden loom stood by the only window. And there on the loom was the most beautiful piece of cloth Thomas had ever seen. Pale green, sea green, the colour of the sea at dawn seemed to shimmer. The old woman watched him as he stared at her weaving and she noticed his tailor's fingers starting to twitch. I'm wanting a skirt made for my granddaughter, Thomas. She's a war with a hair and lassies, but she'll be home soon enough and wanting a new rig. Uh, I have no money, but I'll give you food and a bed in return. She shuffled over to a press and took out two tin plates, placed them on the table with trembling hands. And then she went over to the old iron stove where a round pie was keeping warm. She placed the dish on the table and Thomas noticed how her knuckles were swollen. Oh, the pie was fine enough, though. A rich golden colour, the pastry. Oh, there was a fine cornered pastry star sat in its centre and 
spaced around the crimped edge were the silver faces of three fat herring, their heads poking out of the pastry. Oh, the smell of the pie was delicious, and oh, he remembered that his mother used to make a stargazy pie at the end of every fishing season, with fish from the last catch. She called them lucky fish. Well, once his plate was clean, the old woman returned to the stove and reached above her head and took a handful of herbs that hung from the ceiling, put them in the mug and uh, filled it with hot water, stirred the leaves to make some tea. She stood over him, waiting and watching as he drank it. Now you'll be tired. You can sleep in the attic. She gave him the knuckle end of a candle to light his way, and he picked up his backpack and climbed the stairs. When he entered the attic room, he could just make out a single bed with a sheet and a pillow. He had to bend his head to get under the eaves of the roof, and he noticed a small skylight above the bed. But no light, moonlight, came from that window. He stepped onto the bed to investigate, and saw that it appeared to be painted with thick black paint and there were boards nailed over it. The candle sputtered out. Thomas felt sleepy, so he lay down on the bed and listened to the sound of the sea lapping on the shore below the cliff on which the cottages stood. He heard the squeak of chairs downstairs and thought he could make out the murmur of voices in the room below, soft clicking of needles, knitting. He dreamt of a beautiful girl with red hair. She was wearing a skirt made from that cloth he had seen on the loom downstairs. Thomas awoke to the smell of fried fish. He went downstairs and there on the table was a tin plate with a juicy fat herring rolled in oatmeal and fried in butter. Oh, it was delicious. And once the table was cleared and scrubbed, the cloth was laid out. And Thomas asked, um, what size is your granddaughter, the fisher lassie? Oh, she's the same size as me, just a wee bit taller, straighter, the old woman said. Thomas straightened his tape measure around the tiny waist of the old woman, then set to work. All the fabric was soft to the touch. It seemed to flow through his fingers, and as he worked, the old woman sat down opposite him and cast on eight score stitches starting to knit with her swollen fingers. <laughs> he smiled. His mother used to knit Gansies too, and he, <laughs> he knew these patterns. The waves of the sea, the links of love. His mother would stop at the yoke, and there were lines there of stitches that she called poor man's wealth. Why are they called that, he once asked her. Because they're difficult to count, 
she had replied. He didn't understand it then. But he did now. As he worked, Thomas remembered the town the day earlier and the marketplace and the, how worried the people were. There were no fish in the town yesterday. Why would that be? Thomas asked the old woman. Wished. Work and wait and dree your weird, Thomas. Thomas swallowed hard and got on with his work. He was trying not to dread his fate. He, as he started to sew, the old woman's stiff fingers continued to knit. Mind the herring don't like blood, Thomas. Maybe blood was spilt at the start of the season, my mother told me of a time when the herring hid. Why, it was the last day of the fishing season, and a fine season it had been, but the, the fishermen grew greedy, and when the two boats found that their nets were tangled together, the crew of one got out their knives and cut away the other's nets, saving the catch for themselves. But the crew of the second boat got out their knives and, coming in close, they started to slash at their rivals' nets. And one man thrust his knife into another man's arm and his blood poured into the sea. And after that, the herring were away for years. By late afternoon, Thomas had finished the skirt and the old woman had completed the sea-green gansey. Thomas noted that the sleeves were short, finished above the elbow, just like the fisher lassies wore down at the gutton yards. The yarn of the gansey matched the colour of the skirt, the colour of the sea at dawn. And he remembered his dream, the bonny lassie he'd seen, wearing just one like it. The old woman thanked Thomas, took his coat from the hook by her box bed and showed him to the door. He was ready to move on, but his stomach was rumbling again. If you're still hungry, Thomas, call next door. My sister may need something. And so it was that Thomas went up the first path, out of the first gate, into the second gate, walked down the second path and stood outside the middle door. And as he knocked, he noticed that the rusty sieve hanging on the wa that wall was, was dripping. It was wet. Eventually, the door creaked open and another old woman stood, bent in the doorway. Her cottage was dark as well, but similar in many ways to the one he'd just spent the night in and the day in, and she too had a loom on which a cloth had been woven. She too needed a skirt made for her granddaughter, who was also away with a herring, and he also sat down to a, a stargazy pie, followed by a herb tea. Now the cloth on her loom was the colour of the sea at sunset, and oh, his fingers started to twitch, and he smiled to imagine his work the next day. 
with the stub of a candle in one hand, he started to climb the stairs. And halfway up, he felt a cat brush past his legs. <laughs> he bent down to stroke it, but when he looked down, there was nothing there. Then the brim, the bism by the door, at the bottom of the stairs, it fell over with a crash, and Thomas leapt up the last three steps to the attic bedroom and lay down on the bed. Oh, the candle guttled out. But he could just make out above his head that there was a skylight again, blacked out and boarded over. He fell asleep to the sound of the waves on the shore, the click of knitting wires and voices murmuring in the room below him. This time he dreamt of a a beautiful girl with auburn hair. He awoke the next day to another fat, fried herring. The table cleared and scrubbed. He soon felt that fine fabric warming his fingers. What size skirt? he asked. Oh, the same size as me, just a wee bit less crooked, the old woman said. And so it was, as Thomas started to tailor the skirt, the old woman started to cast on eight score stitches. Now her, her fingers were bony. And when the skirt was cut and pinned, he looked up and saw how her gansy was glowing. Her patterns were moving up to a star five-pointed star on the yoke. Thomas remembered the marketplace and he asked again, why, why would the people be so hungry? Why would they have no fish? Wished, work and wait and dree your weird, Thomas. The old woman replied. Thomas got on with his work. There might be a curse, Thomas, the old woman said as she continued to knit. My mother told me of a time, one season when, oh, it was so hot and the herring was so plentiful that the gutting girls had to work on a Sunday to fill the barrels before the fish went soft in the heat. And the minister stood in the kirk and started his sermon and was faced with bare pews. So he marched down to the gutton yard and started to preach that the failure to observe the Sabbath was a sin. And the lassies pelted him with stinking fish. So he roared that he prayed to God that he would take a great bism and sweep all the herring from the Murray Firth. And God did just that. There was no herring the next season. Well, a second skirt finished, the old woman took his coat from the hook by her wee box bed and showed him the door, and she thanked him. Oh, his tummy rumbled again. He could smell a pie cooking next door. Ah, you could do worse, Thomas, than call next door. My sister may have something for you. 
Thomas swung out of gate number two and through gate number three and down the path to the third door and noticed that the wooden and wire sieve that hung on the wall there, well, it was sparkling with herring scales. Mm. He shivered as he remembered that it was almost Halloween. Now, by the time he had agreed with the third old lady to exchange a bed and board for a third skirt for her granddaughter, he was feeling decidedly hungry. Indeed, by the time his belly was full and the stargazy pie dish was empty, he felt his fingers itching to get his fingers on the inky blue-black cloth that lay on her loom. The colour of the sky just before it got dark, indigo blue. Thomas picked up his backpack, keen to get his scissors out and work through the night, because, well, if it was almost Halloween, he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to sleep at all. You'll be ready for your bed. The old woman handed him his hot tea, gave him an even shorter candle, picked up her bism and opened the door that led up to her wee attic room and slammed it shut behind him. Well, the candle was out before he reached the top step and he tripped and spilt his tea. He entered the attic room, but as he started to feel around him for the bed, he realised that this room wasn't pitch black. There were some thin shafts of moonlight coming through the wooden slats. They made a pattern on his pillow, a five-pointed star of light. He looked it up and got out his scissors from his pack and standing on the bed he slipped the shears on between the wooden boards and wiggled them and they were nailed to the window but he could pull them away and when they were free he pushed open the small window and poked his head out of the roof. The moon was almost full he could see a path running down to the sea from the kale yard below. And two young lassies came into view. The first, the girl he had seen the night before. The second was even more beautiful. One wore a skirt the colour of the sky at sunrise and the other the colour of the sky at sunset. And as they started down the path, a ginger cat slunk out of the shadows and followed them and they were both wearing new gansies, and they each had a leather knitting belt or whisker, and they were, they were wife, and they were, they were knitting, <laughs> and they started to sing. When Thomas woke the next morning, he was shivering, but the sky was blue. He went downstairs and enjoyed a fat, juicy herring fried in butter, and oh, as he did so, he thought about those poor barons he'd seen just a few days before in the town, how hungry those children had looked, and he remembered the gossip about there being no fish. Where were these three women's fish coming from? 
Well, Thomas started work on the skirt as the old woman knitted in front of him. Her, her knuckles, well, they were, they were arthritic. And as she worked, she sang that song he'd heard the night before. He wasn't sure what the words meant. His mind was racing. Oh, perhaps they were three witches. And suddenly a song changed. Why should I sit and sigh, pooling bracken, pooling bracken? Why should I sit and sigh on a hillside dreary? What, what song is that? Thomas asked. Oh, it's just a song my mother used to sing about uh, a lassie falling in love with a fairy boy. Thomas sighed. These weren't three weird witches. They were simply old women. Three neighbours. Sisters, maybe. But the song wasn't magic. The tin mug didn't hold a sleeping potion. He, he must have heard her and her sisters singing the tune when he was asleep. He must have just dreamt about their granddaughters. Perhaps they were back early from Yarmouth tune. Well, the inky blue cloth was so fine. Thomas had finished the third skirt before the end of the afternoon. The old woman was casting off her knitting and she took Thomas's jacket from the hook by her box bed and thanked him, showed him to the door. And he walked up the path with his pack on his back and he had a feeling that three pairs of eyes were watching him from the three windows. He walked on along the coast, and when he was a distance away, he, he looked back and realised that the row of cottages stood in the middle of nowhere. And from where he stood, this the angle in the road, he could see both the front and back of the cottages, he could see where the sea had stolen half of the kale yard and they cut steps in the peaty cliffs that led down to the shore. And down on the shore there were no boats. There was nothing but a large wooden barrel. Perhaps this was where the old woman kept their secret stash of herring, he thought. Well, he decided to sit down and wait. The sun was warm that evening. And he watched the cottages. He was starting to feel sleepy. But then an owl hooted and the, the doors to the three cottages opened as one and out stepped three young lassies. They each took their sieves from beside their door and walked down the path through the gates, turned and entered the kale yard. Each wore the long skirt he had tailored for them and the new gansey their grannies had knitted. Slung over their shoulders was a brown fishing net and each carried 
a crook, the length of chain with the large iron ring and the hook on one end from which the cauldrons had hung in the fire. A full moon rose out of the sea as Thomas watched, and he saw the water out to sea begin to bubble, and herring started to leap in the moonlight. He watched as the three young women breached their skirts, their long, slim legs, skipped down the steps in the cliff to the shore. He followed them, silently scrambled down the cliffs, and hid behind that barrel. He looked inside, but it was empty. The fisher lassies had hooked their three sieves together with their chains, had stepped on board each sieve and bobbed out to sea. They were casting their nets now. Oh, three beautiful young women fishing in the moonlight. Oh, it was such a beautiful sight. He called out a blessing. May you wear my garment to shreds. May you wear my garment to tatters. May you wear my garment with food and music in every place as I would wish. With confidence, with health, with friends, with love. With the grace of the threefold spirit. And at that, three Terrible shrieks pierced the air, and he watched as the three sieves started to sink into the sea. Now Thomas suddenly realised that the rope led from the barrel to the water's edge to the ring at the end of the first crook, the first chain that led to the first sieve, and he ran down to the water's edge and he pulled at that rope. He heaved and he hauled, but by now he was deep into the water, almost out of his depth, and he pulled for one last time. The three sips started to bob towards him within his grasp, but the young women were under the water by now, and their hands were still clinging to the sieves. In the cold blue moonlight, Thomas looked at those hands. They were bony hands swollen hands, arthritic hands. Then six hands lost their grip on their sieves and the three old witches sank to the bottom of the sea. Mm -hmm.